and you can follow along. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty, whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We're talking about the Apostles' Creed, and we're about halfway through, actually maybe a little bit further than that, halfway through this Apostles' Creed series. And I remind you, as we're talking about the Apostles' Creed, we're not necessarily preaching the Creed, but we're allowing the Creed to help us to, to jump into Scripture and to see what do we believe and why. I hope that this Creed series is helping you too to kind of explore what do we believe. May we not just believe what our fathers believed, but may we actually look into and know why we believe it. May we have an answer for people on the street when they ask us, what do we believe? We've used illustration, we've used many illustrations about the creed not having the power, but the word of God has the power. Some people I know may cringe or may have at least at the beginning of the series cringed when they heard we were going to preach a series on the creed. I had to remind people, we're not preaching the creed, we're preaching God's word. But so many people grew up with these creed statements memorized and they had to say them every day or every night or every week at the beginning of preaching their sermon in churches. That's not who we are. We know that this does not hold the power, but God's word does. And I hope for you, you have been learning a lot. I know for me, I have been learning a lot. I've been challenged as I dig into each one of these lines, each one of these statements, and allow it to cause me to be stirred for a, a intrigue, an intrigue for God's Word and to learn more. But today we come to what could probably be considered one of the strangest things of all. It's something strange in the neighborhood, as I was thinking this week, because we've got all these creedal statements which just seemed to immediately make sense. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Well, that's pretty common sense to a Christian, or I would hope that you would believe these things. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. These are foundational statements to our belief as Christians. But then we get to this something strange in the neighborhood statement. We get to the strangest part of the creed, and that is Jesus descended to hell. Jesus descended to hell. What does this mean? I know over this series, I've had numerous people actually come up to me and say, I, I can't believe we're going to talk about this. Churches don't talk about this. A lot of times they skip over this statement because it's hard to explain and believe me, after this past week of trying to study for this, I would like to skip over this statement too. I have done so much more research on this one little statement than anything else. Because one thing you'll find is people are split as to what they believe this means. So we're going to dig into seeing two of the most, the most popular beliefs, two of the most popular views as to what this means, that Jesus descended to hell. And we're going to see, what does this mean to you? 
What does it mean to me? What can we learn from this? How can this challenge our life or how can this apply to our life? But with keeping scripture as the priority, without taking anything out of context, Jesus descended to hell. You see, it's a great controversy among many religious leaders today and of past and present. It was said that Martin Luther himself, when he, when he studied this statement, went into a room, secluded himself, trying to figure out what, what it meant. And he came out more perplexed than when he went in. So with that, I will say, it is of utmost importance that we don't try and add too much to God's word. Well, really, we should add nothing to God's word. We need to keep it focused on his word. Sometimes we want to dig in deeper and deeper and deeper to thoughts like this. And we end up adding not God's opinion, not God's perspective, but we add our own perspective. So a few more facts for you about why this is hard to understand. Well, one thing, you can do a Google search. You can bring up a Bible app. You can bring up your Bible and you can, you can look in the, you can try and cross-reference all you like. But what you're not going to find is one direct statement that actually says this exact statement. Jesus descended to hell. But we will see where the two different major views get this from. Another perplexing thought as to why this is hard to talk about is if you look to the history of the Apostles' Creed, this statement was not initially in the Creed. It was later added. Now, obviously, it was added for a reason. Obviously, there must be something important to see here. So how does this speak to you? How does it speak to me? The very first view of Jesus descending to hell comes from Matthew 27, verse 46. And it's a little bit more of a metaphorical meaning here. It's taken a little bit more as symbolism. But this is widely viewed as one of the most popular views here. And this would be considered maybe more of the more, of the more modern views here of the Protestant churches as a denomination um, Whereas the more literal view, which we'll get to in a moment, goes back more into history. Number one, Jesus descending to hell is thought to come from or related to Matthew 27, verse 46. If you still have that open, please look to it now. Which says, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachani. I'm sorry, I had that all practiced. And then I got tongue twisted. But look to this next statement. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, this goes back to the Old Testament where Jesus is quoting Psalm 22, which also says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you not looking upon me? Why are you not helping me? Why are you not saving me? That type of context here. And in this first view, that is what people believe. They believe that in this view, Jesus descended to hell as he took upon himself the sins of the world, past, present, future. The Father God Almighty, who created the heavens and the earth that we've talked about in previous weeks, had looked away from the Son. He had forsaken him and not saved him. And Jesus did not save himself here as he endured our punishment on the cross. Now, that in itself might seem to some a little bit like hell, but what this belief, what this view would really believe is that as he was separated from God the Father, as the Father had to look away from him, 
this was like the Son, Jesus, going to hell for us. Being separated from God is hell in this view. This is an expression of the suffering that Jesus endured for us. And metaphorically, it is hell. And I put metaphorically question mark because, one, this is just one view of two. But two, I don't really know if it's a metaphorical belief or it's a true belief because I could see the truth in this as well. That it is hell to be separated from God for all of eternity. That is literal. That is biblical. If you do not have a saving relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son, we will be doomed to hell for all of eternity. And that is hell. Being separated from God is hell. One pastor said this, Every, everything good and perfect, everything, whether you're a Christian or not, is a gift of common grace brought about by the presence of God. Hell is the absence of the presence of God to bless us and is simply the presence of God to judge. Furthermore, he went on to state, Jesus experiences in this moment for the first time the presence of God to judge. He senses and feels the reality of hell. This is why we have an empathetic high priest. That's what the book of Hebrews calls Jesus. He knows what it's like to be us. He suffers as we have suffered. He has experienced what we experience, except he never sinned in it. The second view of hell, as we move on quite fast, is this. Jesus descended to hell more literally. Again, literally, question mark, because there are multiple views, but this one is definitely not speaking of a metaphorical idea. This is speaking of Jesus himself descending to hell. And this comes from 1 Peter 3, 18 to 20. However, I do have a few other supporting scriptures we'll get to in a moment. If you have 1 Peter 3, 18 to 20 open, you can look down upon it. And as you're looking down, let me also just say one quick statement. All of this research I did, I mean, I had 25 commentaries at once open upon my desk and my computer. I obviously can't give you all of this information in 20 minutes. So I hope, as I've encouraged and I've challenged you throughout this whole series, and I challenge you with all my messages, I hope that this will store up just a little bit inside of you, a little bug inside of you to dive into God's Word and dig more, learn more, study more. May we always be studying more of God. I think of how much we study of this world to, to know the most about this book series or this movie series, um, or to know the most about how to fix this car, or, or whatever it, it is. Today's a prime day for hunting. People want to know the, the most about how to get that deer, where to shoot that deer, how to process that deer. But can we explain to people how to process God's word? Let's read 1 Peter 3, 18 to 20. And it says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And here's what we're going to focus on, this next part, verse 19 of 1 Peter chapter 3. In which he went and proclaimed or preached to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. Now a few things to see right off the bat is, who is he? And that's why I went back just a little bit more. 
But really, we could look at a lot more context of the before and after. This is a very, very, very perplexing piece of scripture. As I shared before, pastors are split on this. Theological leaders um, are, are split on this. Throughout time, they have been split on this. I'm not just talking today. But he is Jesus Christ. We see, for Christ also suffered once for sins. We're talking about Christ. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, he went and proclaimed or preached. I'm adding or preached. Some, some translations use that word or preached to the spirits in prison. Because they formerly did not obey. Now, if you're to view this as the true view of what this, this Jesus descended to hell means, there's some more for you to see. First of all, no matter which view you, you want to believe, I want to point out again, it says directly, he went. He obviously went somewhere. Where is that? He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Also note that for some people who want to, want to talk about, and one of the debating topics which were, was asked to me, and we're going to cover in a minute, is... But how could Jesus have descended to hell if he had told the criminal on the cross next to him that today I will be with you in paradise? We're going to talk about that in a moment. But note in John 20, 17, when Jesus met Mary Magdalene, he told her he had not yet risen to the Father. So again, we get this verse from 1 Peter 3 of 18 that he went somewhere else. He had not yet gone risen, ascended to the Father's side. So he went somewhere. Where is this? Well, people don't want to believe that he descended to hell because hell could be considered a place of eternal uh, torment and suffering. The lake of fire. Well, if we look back to Scripture, and I think what the creed, the authors of the creed really meant by this is more what the, Hebrew, the Old Testament referred in Hebrew to Sheol. Or the New Testament in Greek refers to Hades. There is also a Greek word, Gehenna, which also refers to the place we call hell. Now, Gehenna would be more that eternal place of suffering, the lake of fire, where all those in Hades or in, in hell now will be eventually judged and suffered for all of eternity. But, but how does this apply to, to the Apostles' Creed? How it applies is this. Jesus, when it says descended to hell in this view, does not mean that he, he was sent to Gehenna. It does not mean that he was sent to this eternal place to suffer for our sins. He had already conquered our sins through the cross. We needed the cross of Jesus Christ, and the cross was enough. Nothing needs to be added to Jesus' crucifixion and death through the cross. That is where salvation came. Jesus did not go to hell to suffer for us. He went to hell to proclaim the victory that he had already had. To proclaim the triumphant victory that he already had. So the creed is telling us that when Jesus died, he fully entered the realm of the dead. Between Christ's death and resurrection, his living spirit went to the demon spirits bound and waiting, final judgment, and proclaimed that in spite of his health, his death, he had triumphed over them. Well, let me get to this. And I know today's a really kind of oddball sermon. There's a lot of info just being thrown at you. But that statement, 
to the criminal on the cross next to him. Well, what's that mean? Later today, I will be with you in paradise. Well, it's actually referred to in Luke, and it's referred to in the Old Testament as well. And it's, it's common knowledge in Greek mythology, and people could have been referring to it here, that Hades would actually have two separate parts. It would have a, a part which was truly Hades, where the demons, the fallen angels, were suffering until they would have that final judgment and thrown into the lake of fire. But then it would have this separate part where the saints of old would be waiting to be taken up to be with the Father. Now again, this is so hard to explain in 20 minutes. I can give you so much more information later. But let's get back to this. It says that Jesus proclaimed. He went and proclaimed or preached to the spirits in prison because they formally did not obey. Another view here is that Jesus went to Hades to preach, to proclaim the good news of salvation and get, to give these saints an opportunity at, at salvation. I do not believe that to be true. First of all, there would be a different Greek word here if you study the Greek, and you'd see that it wasn't an evangelism-based message. Second of all, I do not believe there's a second chance after death to accept Christ. What I believe is that he preached at them of his triumph or victory as a herald, preaching, proclaiming to a crowd. He might have preached at them of their future judgment and punishment. He might have, he might have preached at them of his power over death, over Hades. But what we see is Jesus is in control of what is happening. We don't see that the demons were preaching at him. We don't see that the spirits were preaching at him. We don't see that the spirit, that, that Satan was preaching at, at him. What we see is Jesus was proclaiming to them. Jesus was in full control of what is happening. Also, we see the spirits in prison does not refer to people. That would also be a different word. Where it says spirits, it would say souls. It's speaking of fallen angels. In this view, Psalm 139, verse 7 to 8 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If you look up in more translations here, you'll find that the King James Version actually he states, when it says, In bed in the depths, it will actually say, If I make my bed in hell, you are there. God is in control of all places. God is everywhere. He is all-knowing, and he is all-powerful. And one argument here is that Jesus, when he went here, was to suffer. I talked about this, but I just want to stress again that we cannot say that he went there to suffer, because if you say that, then you're saying that the cross was not enough. We do look to the, to the context here. In 1 Peter, he's writing to a suffering church. He gives us a great illustration to see how Jesus suffered and conquered, and because of this, we can look to him for help. He understands, he cares, and he has triumphed over suffering and over death. And when he, when he conquered, when he suffered and conquered, he went to proclaim how he was victorious. Ephesians 4, 7 to 13, I've just got a couple more scriptures as we wrap up now, says this. Just one more supporting scripture here. 
But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is a very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And then John 19 is where we get our reference in, in verse 29 and 30. I'm sorry, just 30, I'll read. It says, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus was crying out in anguish because of the separation he was experiencing from his heavenly father for the first time. But in this, it is finished. He took upon all our sins, all the sins of the world, and was able to forgive us. The mystery to this scripture is complex. It's perplexing. And many pastors, many, many theological leaders throughout time have tried to explain it. And I, I may be doing a terrible job here, but what I want you to see is this. There's two major views. And one view is more metaphorical, that when Jesus suffered and died on the cross, he was forsaken. And in that moment of, of being forsaken, God had taken his eyes off of him. That separation was hell. That separation from God is hell. The second view is more literal. Jesus descended to hell. But what you need to remember in this view is Jesus did not descend to hell to suffer for our sin there because sin was already conquered. What you need to remember is that there's different views of hell here, and he wasn't going to the eternal lake of fire. He was going to Hades to proclaim victory over sin. No matter which view you believe, I think there's two important things that we can see. Number one, which applies more to the first one, be grateful, thankful. And as we're going into this week of Thanksgiving, you can even think about this. Be grateful, be thankful that Jesus was forsaken. He was separated from the Father God to be, to be victorious over your sin. We should be grateful for this. Jesus, the Son of God, came and was born of a human. He lived he suffered, he died, and he was forsaken. He was separated from the Father, all for you. Then number two is this. Jesus proclaiming, preaching to the demons of his victory over death and sin, we too can see that we can preach to the demons in our life, but only through the name and power of Jesus. What I mean by that is this. We have many demons in our life. We have many addictions in our life. We have many struggles in our life that we allow to control us. In Colossians 2.15, it says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphant, triumphing over them by the cross. The phrase powers and authorities refers to spiritual forces of wickedness, not to human rulers, but it reminds us that they have been disarmed. Jesus is in control. God is in control. And through the name of Christ, we can be victorious over our sins, over addictions, over our problems. But we need Jesus. When Jesus proclaimed, or in other translations, preached to the demons, he disarmed them. They can no longer allow you to suffer. They may give you temporary discomfort. But for all of eternity, we can proclaim victory over our sins, that we will be with him. 
So I ask you to allow Jesus and the triumphing power of the cross to preach to them. They did not control him there. They do not control him now. And they will not control him in the future. God has struck a mighty blow and left Satan defeated, disarmed, and disgraced. This should control you. God should control you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank for this message. And that no matter which view we feel is true of Jesus descended to hell, I do believe that we can see two things. We can see that Jesus went all the way to the cross. He suffered, he died, and was forsaken. He went to hell in that way as he was separated from you, Lord, and he did that all for us. We can be grateful, we can be thankful, and Lord, we do thank you today for our salvation, which is so free and clear. But secondly, Lord, we pray for for that second point, that as Jesus preached, as he proclaimed to the demons his victory, we can also preach to the demons the problems in our life that God is in control, and they are not. We need to surrender to you, Lord. Surrender our addictions, surrender our problems, surrender our sins to you, and allow you to be in control of our life. Lord, we pray for these things in your holy and powerful name now. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. And please remember, I believe the children are having practice for the Christmas program. Thank you.